0: you do you let True Green do your lawn care visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed
1: (sighs) the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana
2: it doesn't get any better than this
1: your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes
2: there really is no place like home
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
2: This is America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Many of us are working from home these days because of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That started out as what we thought might be a temporary measure. But as we've reported in recent weeks, many large and small companies say they're going to keep many employees working from home even when all this passes. There are huge savings to be had in leasing office space, utilities, when the workforce is mostly not on site. And companies say worker productivity for the most part has been fine. But has anyone actually studied this? Well, the answer is yes. Microsoft has analyzed data on its own workforce and what it found may tell us a lot about whether work in America has been changed forever. Emma Williams is corporate vice president of office verticals at Microsoft. Emma, good to have you with us. How are you? Hello,
3: Gil. Thank you for taking the time.
2: I admit I had to look up your title because in journalism, verticals used to refer to any reporters not laid out horizontally on a barroom floor after work. So, briefly, <laughs> what are you vice president of?
3: That's awesome. Um, I'm actually the my title's updated. It is now a vice president, corporate vice president of modern workplace transformation. And so, what that really means is two areas. We are looking at transforming the workforce by providing in industries like healthcare and retail and manufacturing and banking. We're providing new experiences inside Microsoft Teams for all of the frontline workers in order to digitize their uh, operations and their, uh, their business processes, because most of it's paper-based today. So that's one area of my team. The other area of my team, which is what we're talking about here today, is the Microsoft Workplace Analytics. Team. And this is where we look uh, using data in the aggregate at trends that are happening in the workplace and the human behavioral patterns. And so that's the data that we've been using to generate some of these insights.
2: Let's talk about some of those trends. One of the lines in the Harvard Business Review study, uh story that I read about the study is we all scrambled to set up home offices, situate newly homeschooled kids, juggle customer calls and cat antics, double in my case, and in many ways, rethink how to do our jobs. So you had a lot of questions here. And let's look at the answers you got. Some of them are surprising. One of which was how would employees integrate and separate work and home life under the same roof? How have we done?
3: I would say the data that we are seeing is pretty fascinating. We have both generated the data from the Workplace Analytics product that I talked about, but we've also, on my 400-person team inside Microsoft, been using internal surveys as well to validate that data. So a few things that have popped. We're seeing that meetings have changed pretty dramatically. In Microsoft, we used to generally have an hour meeting in the office where people got together for an hour. We are now seeing, using our Microsoft Teams product for audio and video conferencing, we're seeing meetings have now changed so that we're seeing a 22% rise in 30-minute meetings instead. So shorter, more productive, quicker meetings. We are also seeing those longer meetings that would have been an hour or more. We're seeing an 11% decline in those longer meetings. So people are changing their work patterns. The other thing we are seeing is we tended to be meeting heavy in the morning. We tended to be meeting heavy from 8 a.m. through noon, and then people would go for lunch and then come back and work on projects in the afternoon. We are now seeing a general pattern of that time shifting to more like 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the afternoon instead. For probably a lot of what you just said, Gil, people are getting their children settled in the morning and making sure they're homeschooling and getting ready for their day. We are also seeing elongated working days. And by that, I mean, for instance, there's more of a work-life blur to some degree. We are seeing Microsoft Teams instant messages are rising by 52% from 6 p.m. to midnight. And we are seeing a 200% increase in those Microsoft Teams instant messages over the weekends. So all of that's to say people are having elongated working days and their working habits are shifting. But we are also seeing exactly what you just said, Gil people are being still highly productive. They're just being productive in a very different way.
2: And when we say we're talking about elongated working days, we're not necessarily talking about people working that whole time. It's just over the course of that working day where they're connected, they might be taking time out to help the kids study or run to the store or whatever things that they couldn't do in the work days where they actually went to the office.
3: Absolutely correct. I think that industrial era experiment where um, everybody was working a classic nine to five with an hour break for lunchtime. And that was the industrial era, the 1950s in America. And that's the expectations of managers uh, that they would be able to see the people who worked for them in the office. There's been a massive global experiment now of working from home and it's worked it's working for people. And so a lot of what I'm seeing uh, for people in uh, my team specifically is they're doing exactly that. They're taking shift for child minding at home. Men and women are taking, you take the morning shift, honey, I'll take the afternoon shift. We'll make sure the children are being educated and are being entertained. And yet we will still be able to do our work there's also an expectation now that uh, people will not necessarily be available to you instantly and be able to respond instantly. Uh, So we're seeing in Microsoft, people are putting a lot of messages in Microsoft Teams or in Outlook to say, hey, my time of work today may not be your time of work today. So that's okay. I don't expect an instant response from you. So people are really changing their habits.
2: Yeah. And I love the idea of that. And this is not an idea that before this, I might've approved, but that we're able to shift some work to the weekend because there are times when everybody else in the house is asleep and I can actually be more productive than at other times or times when, you know, somebody in the house is watching Outlander and doesn't have to have me there making snide comments about the boyfriend being captured and released every episode, like a lone minnow in a small pond. Uh, I can say I have work to do, which is much kind of I, for some reason, it works psychologically better than, "This bores the hell out of me. I'm going to go somewhere and read the book. People understand I need to have work to do."
3: Exactly. And in fact, one of the fascinating things we've seen about these elongated working days is that the employees who have one-on-ones with their managers are actually seeing their elongated working days be shorter than the, ma- the employees who do not have one-on-ones with their managers on a regular basis. And so we've been encouraging, we saw an 18% rise in one-on-ones um, in these Microsoft Teams meetings. And so we've been encouraging our team, our colleagues and our customers to really focus on those one-on-ones because an employee who has them can uh, get priorities from their managers, can get help from their managers that can actually help them make decisions faster in the day and be more time effective so they can get back to family.
2: Final thing. So out of this, we're all wondering whether work will change forever and we're going to be doing more online and whether this is going to be a hard reset of what we expect of work or whether we're going to go back to the old ways. Microsoft is an interesting example here because in China, some of your workers are now back at the office. So this is key to understanding how work might be changed forever, how much of these behaviors have lasted once people got back to an office.
3: Uh, Well, obviously, we're a global company, and as a global company, there are different uh, health and safety standards in uh, different countries. So Microsoft aligns to all of those local guidelines, and uh, we're very, very cautious and careful about the safety of our employees. Uh, We did see some folks returning to our workplace in China, and that did give us some insights on how we would manage that globally. Um, Of course, it's not 100%, and people are doing it in more of shifts. Um, We are seeing uh, people use different days, different shifts, and really going into the office more to work on the same shifts with critical co-workers to achieve some outcome. But it's not the classic nine to five anymore. And again, we're going to see cultural norms that will change uh, from country to country. And we're going to see age and demographic norms that will probably have a difference there as well. And it's not just Gil for the people who work classically in the office where the entire world has changed, but the frontline workers have dramatically changed the way they work as well. Let me just give you a quick example from manufacturing. So in manufacturing today, uh, you can imagine one of the big things they do in manufacturing is machine maintenance and factory quality acceptance testing. Now, if you can't get your experts who are quality experts into the manufacturing plant along with the rest of your frontline workers, gosh, how do you do your job? How do you run your plant? So we are seeing an integration of Microsoft Teams um, into an audio video headset that slots inside a safety helmet. And this audio video headset is made by Realware. And so you can have a hands-free experience on a factory floor where the frontline worker has a little camera at the eye and a little microphone at the mouth, and they are showing the components in their hands on camera to the experts who are sitting back in their homes. And the experts are then able to say, check, Gil, that looks like that's hit our quality bar, so we can now ship this component. So manufacturing frontlines are running on Microsoft Teams with new digital experience as well. And that world has dramatically changed for the frontline from paper-based.
2: Our world has dramatically changed in so many ways. This is fascinating that it brings up some possibly positive ways it has changed in the midst of all of this. Emma Williams is Corporate Vice President to Microsoft, who has been looking at all of this and studying this. Emma, thank you so much for being with us.
3: It was my pleasure, Gail. Thank you.
2: You're listening to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. The search for a COVID-19 vaccine is uppermost in everyone's mind. How close or far away are we and will it change everything back or are we changed forever in spite of a vaccine? Dr. Peter Hotez, who I actually should call Dr. Dr. Peter Hotez, both an MD and a PhD, is dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine and professor of pediatrics and molecular virology and microbiology at Baylor College of Medicine, where he's also the director of the Texas Children's Center for Vaccine Development. He's also among the many researchers working on a COVID vaccine. Good to talk to you again. How are you? That's good hearing from you again, Let's start with something that um, put you in the news, where you so often are these days. You sent the White House a plan to get the country open by October. Can you tell us what it was and whether you've gotten a response.
4: Yeah, this is, uh, I call it my October 1 plan, uh, published it in a journal. I know all your listeners read all the time, microbes and infection. You know, I wanted it in a serious journal. And its it basically says things are, have headed in the wrong direction and we're headed towards catastrophe, 230,000 deaths by the end of October, 300,000 deaths or more by the end of the year. And now we're forcing teachers to work in schools that are unsafe in communities where there's high transmission and it's threatening our homeland security. We don't have to live this way and basically outlines a plan that says that we can bring every state in the nation down to containment mode. And there are different definitions of that. Some say one new case per million residents per day. We may not need to be so restrictive, but bring it down to a a manageable level. So then we can put on masks and prevent resurgence. We can uh, actually do contact tracing effectively. We can open up our schools safely.
2: Let's talk about reopening the schools because that is something that is coming in a matter of weeks across the country. Talked to many teachers, talked to many school board members and they've all said pretty much the same thing. Look, we wanna get back to work, but we wanna get back to work that's safe. You're in Houston where things are not good and what does the school situation look like there
4: yeah here in houston we've got um uh, between 1200 and 1500 new cases a day and practically speaking that probably means five or six times higher so maybe five six thousand cases new cases a day and you cannot open up the school system and with that aggressive level of transmission even though it's at a plateau now it's Plateaued at 100 miles an hour. And if you try to open up schools under that setting, it's just it's inevitable that teacher staff will get sick. And uh and all it my I believe that all it takes is one or two teachers in in the Houston Independent School District to Uh, wind up in the hospital and it destabilizes everything and people will, will refuse to come to work and it'll shut things down. And that will happen in Miami and that will happen in Austin and Dallas. It'll happen in Phoenix. It'll happen in Los Angeles. And it's very frustrating for me because if you listen to the White House Coronavirus Task Force, you know, we heard Bob Redfield, Dr. Redfield on Friday, you know, appropriately point out the public health benefits of the schools. And we get that. It's not just a for education, many low-income neighborhoods. Kids depend on schools for their food security and uh, adolescents depend on their, for their mental health counseling. Everybody understands that, or anyone who's ever been a parent, like, I, have, I have four adult kids now understands that. But you have to first do the hard work to bring the virus onto containment mode, as I'm proposing. Johns Hopkins now is also but I, and I haven't had time to read it in detail, but it looks like it's probably a, an appropriate way to go.
2: And I want to get the vaccines in a moment, but let's stay with schools for a moment, because that's something that you know, we're facing around the country right now. Looking at the data right now, it looks as if while children who are infected with COVID-19 are more likely to be asymptomatic than older people, less likely to experience actual disease, although some do. Uh, they can still transmit to both children and adults. And one of the things that's an argument about it is like, well, at what age are children less likely to transmit at, say, kindergarten first grade than they are in middle school and high school? What is your take on what you're seeing about the ability of children to spread the disease?
4: Yeah, I think we overthink it a bit. I mean, clearly, the South Koreans have shown that kids over the age of 10 can transmit the virus perfectly well. And even in the little little kids, uh, there's a paper out in JAMA Pediatrics showing high amounts of virus in the upper airway and in the nose. And even though they don't have the same force to release virus particles, they can still transmit the virus, maybe not at the same level. But remember the reality here. Let's say you open up a school in an area where there's lots of transmission. These are not hermetically sealed, right? This is not the NBA in Orlando right now. This is uh, this is you've got vendors coming in and out of the building. There will be exposure and, and kids will kids will get sick, but more you know, importantly, because they're at higher risk of severe disease, the teachers, the cafeteria workers, the staff are, are going to get sick. And all it takes is a few notable teachers or staff to go into the hospital in the school district, and that will completely destabilize the whole situation
2: let's talk about vaccines there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there's a lot of pressure to get the vaccine out quickly there's a number of people i saw one piece from a biostatistician in forbes who was saying hey this thing is killing people Uh, this phase two has shown that the vaccines being tested are harmless in terms of hurting people let's start vaccinating everybody now before the phase three studies are finished is that a good idea?
4: Uh, well, let, let's look at the reality. Here, here's, the, here's what the published data says. In the 10 individuals who got two doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, they seem to develop pretty good levels of virus-neutralizing antibodies and T-cell responses. In the 15 who got two doses of the Moderna vaccine, similar in the 12 people who got the two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, similar, although at the highest doses of all those, uh they seem to it seemed to be pretty rough, fever and every, and and uh and everything else. And then with the Pfizer vaccine, they couldn't give the second dose at the highest level. And the highest dose of the Moderna vaccine was also too too intolerable. So what are we talking about? Twenty twenty individuals already some potential concerns you're gonna go to that to vaccinate in the whole country? I mean it's ridiculous. Um, all, all we know right now from the published data is there's enough there, there in the operation warp speed vaccines to warrant doing a large clinical trial to see if the vaccines actually work and they're actually safe. That's all we know, period. And, uh, and therefore, I don't see how we get the information we need to know the vaccines both work and are safe by the end of this year. I've put it more in the middle of 2021, Dr. Fauci, I think has said, you know, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe the first quarter of 2021, and even but both would be world land speed records. And so that's, that's the status. And the other point, though, is to remember, some of these vaccines will work better than others. So some will uh, potentially reduce severity of illness, but not prevent virus transmission, so that we're still going to need to have masks and contact tracing.
2: Last question. You have spent a lot of your career talking about how and researching how disease affects people in poverty, not just around the world, but here in the United States, especially on the Gulf Coast. You're in Houston seeing a a big difference in the way this disease is hitting poor populations and more well-to-do populations. What are you seeing? What can we do about it?
4: Yeah, no, it's quite, I'm glad you asked that. It's it's very devastating. Um, we're seeing this virus hit, for instance, the Hispanic community very hard and the essential workers, especially, you know, people who can't work remotely, can't make their living via Skype and Zoom, who, you know, are working on construction sites or family-owned businesses, bakeries and restaurants and dry cleaners and people working transportation, getting hit really hard. And you know, for instance, one of the things the Houston City Health Department does every day, they put out a death list of COVID-19, and it, it provide, doesn't provide the names because of confidentiality, but age and race and ethnicity. And every day you read the same thing, Hispanic, 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 Black, Black, Hispanic, Hispanic, Hispanic. These Hispanic neighborhoods are just getting hammered by this virus. And nobody wants to talk about it. It's really upsetting what's, for instance, what's going down not only in Houston and the other metro areas of Texas and across the South, but down in South Texas, uh, you know, we had 64 deaths in one day last week in Hidalgo County in South Texas. That's not a big county. I think it's got a population of 800,000 people. And so there's, uh and we don't have all of the information, but I think this represents historic decimation of Hispanic communities and also a lot of African American communities. And and that's one of the reasons I've been really speaking out in very strong terms is because, whereas in the beginning of this, I would only focus on the science, and I still focus on the science, but not to point this out, that this is a humanitarian tragedy, I think would be immoral. And, you know, talking to my wife, Anne, you know, she said, look, Peter, if you don't speak out about this, and, and once the full toll among low-income communities comes to light, you'll feel terrible if you hadn't said anything. So there I am speaking about the role of COVID-19 as a devastating health disparity.
2: Dr. Peter Hotez is Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College and Director of the Texas Children's Center for Vaccine Development. Thank you so much for spending time with us again.
4: Uh, Thanks for having me.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Changed Forever. From the CBS Audio Network, I'm Gil Gross. Well, we have deadly virus, so what else could happen? How about murder hornets? Yeah, that's what we need. Sounds like a bad bee murder movie, and it is, quite literally. Luke Burbank took a careful and distant look at this for CBS Sunday Morning. Ted McFall of Custer, Washington, loves his bees.
5: Like, really loves them.
6: Some people love their cats, some people love their dogs, and beekeepers love their bees. Some bee colonies are a little more aggressive or, or a little, little more cranky. Some bee colonies are, are faster to, to store honey. Each colony kind of has its own little personality.
5: He and his kids even named some of the queens.
6: I'm not sure that I want to say on national TV, but some of the names are like uh, Beyoncé. Uh, our favorite one this year was uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, just, they, just silly names.
5: Which is why it was so upsetting for him when he found one of his favorite, most productive hives had been slaughtered.
6: That particular colony had a good 60,000 bees in it. They killed all the workers, the drones, the queen. They slaughtered every last bee in the entire in the entire colony.
5: The likely culprit? Something called the Asian Giant Hornet, which you may have also heard called the Murder Hornet. More on that in a minute.
6: Whenever they find a beehive, they will slaughter all the bees go inside the beehive, and then rip out the pupa and rip out the bee larva, and then they will fly that back to their own young and feed that to their
5: young. I mean, I know nature is violent, but that's like horror movie violent.
6: Yeah, it is total horror movie violence, and it's not like the the bees are able to mount a defense because our western honeybee are, are totally helpless against this
5: predator. Scientists think the hornets hitched a ride over to North America on a cargo ship, and Chris Looney is hoping they don't get too comfortable here.
7: They have one of the more painful stings that's known to, to humankind. Looney is an entomologist
5: in charge of exotic pests at the Washington State Department of Agriculture.
7: Their jaw can actually um, can take a chunk of flesh out of a, out of a human body, yeah. I mean, if, if they bite you, they can take a little divot of, of skin out. Um, and they use those jaws most of the time for, for mashing up other bugs and, and turning them into the, the meatballs that they take back to feed their larvae. I guess you'd be hard-pressed to decide which you're more worried about if one lands on you. Is it going to bite me or sting me? With
5: five confirmed hornets found in Washington state, Looney and his colleagues are trying to figure out how to spot the hornets' underground nests and eradicate them before they start
7: reproducing in large numbers. We're experimenting right now with infrared cameras, essentially, to see if we can locate those nests in the ground. The nest will stay at about 87 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So in the cool Pacific Northwest mornings, they should stand out um, to some degree. We... Are in talks right now with uh, researchers at University of Washington to see if we might be able to use radio transmitters or radio tags as a way to follow them back um, to their nest.
5: Yes, you heard that right. These hornets are so large, up to two and a half inches long, that you can actually attach a radio transmitter to them. To eradicate the hives, Looney and his colleagues will have to wear special hornet-proof suits
7: because the hornet stingers are so long they can sting through regular bee suits. This is great. It will protect us from being stung. But you can imagine it's really hard to maneuver in this. First, though, they have to find them. So they've enlisted the help of regular folks,
5: citizen scientists. This is trap
1: 1535.
5: Like Emily Neely of Burien, Washington, to make traps with orange juice and rice wine and hang them in their backyards, then report what they find. Washington officials say if you live in the state and you see a giant hornet, you should take a picture of it on your phone and submit it. But otherwise, leave the insect alone, lest you end up like one of the people on this Japanese reality show. On the subject of Japan, the nickname Murder Hornets appears to have come from a possible mistranslation from Japanese, which went viral after it was used in a New York Times article. If you talk to Chris Looney or any
7: other scientists, though, they'll tell you they're not really fans of the name. Murder Hornet doesn't work for a couple of reasons. One of them, it exaggerates the human health risk. These are a human health risk. Like, like I said, we don't want to be stung by one. If you're allergic to one, obviously, that can be really dangerous. And even if you're not allergic, multiple stings certainly can lead to, um, to, to being hospitalized and sometimes rarely even death. But it turns out it's not that many people that die from this any given year in the places where it's native.
5: Fall brings the giant hornet's mating season to the Pacific Northwest, and Ted McFall is doing everything he can to protect his remaining honeybees. To
6: think that there's this terrible creature that's in the woods that's gonna come out and attack them at any day. So I feel like it's a bit of a race for us to find them and find their nest and destroy them before
5: they destroy our honeybees. What's happening here? He's experimenting with different kinds of bait. This one that I'm trying is cat food. (laughs) Um, Checks on his hives regularly. So all these frames are gonna be full of honey uh, in the next uh, few weeks. And as an absolute last resort, He's even stashed one of his daughter's tennis rackets in a bag Asian near his traps.
6: You know, back in high school, I had a pretty good serve. And I haven't played tennis since then. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a way that I may, uh, I may decide to fight the, the hornets
5: this way. Desperate times calling for desperate measures in the ongoing battle between man and terrifying beast.
2: Luke Burbank. By the way, you know how once a bee uses its stinger, it's done stinging for life, well, murder hornets... Are like the Energizer Hornets. They just keep stinging and stinging and stinging. You're listening to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. And now, a TikTok Tech Talk. Not easy to say, somewhat easier to explain, but with so many different angles to the story, from national security to lip-syncing dance moves, it'll take information from all the people I've talked with to try and keep this TikTok Tech Talk on track, and I promise that is the last time I'll do that. If you have never used TikTok, what it is is simply an app that has whittled down that old saying about everyone having 15 minutes of fame – to 15 seconds. You get that long to post a dance move, lip sync, or comedy bit. May not sound attractive to you, but it has been to 100 million Americans and a billion or so people overseas. So this sounds pretty harmless, but... The President and Secretary of State are quite upset about TikTok. They have asked for it to be banned, demanded military personnel take the app off their phone. And companies such as Wells Fargo and Amazon have demanded their employees take the app off, though Amazon later changed its mind. The reason is TikTok is owned by a Chinese company, which, though private, is answerable to the Chinese government. But what's really going on here? Well, that is not the easiest thing to answer. The Trump administration claims that TikTok is a national security danger, collecting data from its users beneficial to Chinese intelligence interests. But does it? Well, there's been zero evidence as yet that it does. And it's hard to figure out what Chinese intelligence would do with information about teenage dance moves. Nor has there been any explanation of why the Chinese, who have successfully hacked into the United States Government Office of Personal Management and Anthem Health Insurance, should even need this kind of Trojan horse for this kind of app that caters to this kind of audience. TikTok's the United States subsidiary says, Hey, we're an open book. Any data we collect stays in the United States, and China never sees it. And so far, that does seem to be true. But is it trustworthy? And here's where things get murky. Under Chinese law, companies can be forced to comply with any and all Chinese laws. And as the people of Hong Kong are finding out, Chinese laws can be pretty restrictive and intrusive. Also, though TikTok's American company says everything it collects will never leave our shores, if you read their privacy statement, you know, that thing we all hit except for without reading? It states TikTok may share user data with a parent, subsidiary, or other affiliate of our corporate group. In other words, its Chinese owner, which by law is beholden to any Chinese government demand. But does TikTok collect anything worth worrying about? Well, So far, no. Guardian Firewall, an internet security company, says TikTok just collects your device model, screen resolution, and operating system, the sort of information it needs to work. There is a claim on Reddit that the Android version also collects location, and TikTok did at one time get access to your clipboard, where you might have passwords exposed. But it claimed that feature was just to catch people who spam the same thing to multiple TikToks over and over again, and it has since disabled that. Also, American internet companies have been caught actually doing all the things TikTok has been accused of, and government doesn't seem to care. After the Cambridge Analytica scandal a few years back at Facebook, Congress promised all kinds of things to protect your data and has not been actually moved to do anything about any of it since then. So again, what is so special about TikTok? Well, maybe one thing. It may be many things. Here's the menu. Pick out as many items as you would like. It could be political revenge. Remember, When the Trump administration claimed 1 million people were coming to the Tulsa rally and according to the Tulsa Fire Department only 6,200 people showed up, well, teen TikTok users claimed that they signed up for all of those tickets with no intention of using them. Now, there is no actual proof TikTok teens tanked Trump in Tulsa. Yes, sorry, I said I wasn't going to do that again. But just the claim may have angered the administration. Or it could be part of the trade war with China that's already seen moves against communication company Huawei, where techies say there are concerns about intelligence information being fed to China as 5G gets built out. Or, this is like a diner menu, there's a lot to choose from, it could be retribution against China for anti-democracy moves against Hong Kong and the Uyghur Muslims. Or, it could be pushback against Chinese innovation. Chinese tech used to be what it could make deals for or just flat out steal from American companies. But what Huawei and TikTok have done is to actually innovate, which means Chinese tech has reached a new stage the United States may be anxious to squash. Or it could be just a continuing use of China as an election year punching bag that goes along with referring to the SARS CoV 2 virus as the Chinese virus. Or it could be a reverse concern about Russia allegedly manipulating the internet for Donald Trump. Might China, not as friendly with the president as Russia, use TikTok, where some have claimed political moves against Trump, use its power against the administration and for Joe Biden? Or like lunch in a hometown Corral Buffet, you can put as many of those ingredients together as you'd like in whatever order, not forgetting to grab a corn muffin as well. The dangers here are almost as varied. The United States could look as if it's asserting internet sovereignty within its borders, something usually associated with authoritarian governments like, well, China. This is a bigger worry than it may sound, because more governments are cracking down on internet content. India is banning TikTok, which may have to do with content, but more likely is about the country's border war with China, in which a recent skirmish left 20 Indian soldiers dead. Pakistan is banning TikTok over what it calls salacious content, under a law passed four years ago that threatens 14 years in prison to anyone who uses the internet against the glory of Islam or decency and morality in Pakistan. Many people there say the TikTok ban is just part of a wider effort by the government to stifle any dissent against the country's rulers in Pakistan. The attack on TikTok in the United States could also, even by allowing Microsoft to buy TikTok, be seen as a nationalistic grab at a foreign company. Something the United States has always complained bitterly about when it's happened to us in places like Chile and Cuba. And, of course, China is also a major buyer of American goods, which many companies and farmers in the U.S. depend on. And a continuing trade war might be just the sort of thing a weakened United States economy doesn't need at the moment in terms of what it means to lip syncing kids or You think you can dance for 15-second contestants? Maybe not that much. Many American kids are making money off popularity on TikTok. But if you haven't noticed, teens can do a turbo turn on tech like TikTok. And if you haven't checked your Instagram feed this week, and if you haven't, you're at least 30. Instagram, which has billions of users, has already debuted something called Reels, which is just like TikTok. And there are plenty of other news sites that claim to do the same thing. People may head over there or not. Facebook and others have tried to compete in the past and flunked. At the bottom of this is something no one seems to actually care about in an era where every politician on every side pretty much hates big tech, but there is a fairness issue. ByteDance, the Chinese company that owns TikTok, has been prospering both in China and overseas, but American companies that prosper here, like Facebook, Apple, and Google, have not been allowed that same freedom in China. So you might ask, why should TikTok? One answer might be because we are not an authoritarian country, but... Another answer could be, why should we let them do something here our companies can't do there? And it's a fair question. If all of this sounds like a very serious discussion over a very silly app, it is. Because as silly as TikTok is, it represents issues that may have to be settled before more serious apps dealing in more sensitive information break out. Because tech happens quickly. And government, which likes hearings, legislation, checking the political winds, and so forth, generally reacts so far behind the curve, it's probably just deciding what to do about CompuServe and Prodigy. And if you say, wow, are those companies even still around? The answer is no, and that's pretty much the point. So, Whatever happens to TikTok, maybe it's better to take the time to really figure out how to deal with this now for an app that seems pretty benign, before someday we have to deal with an app with location information designed to be enjoyed by soldiers deployed in the field. Because those moves are not meant to be seen by every 14-year-old kid or every 40-year-old intelligence officer. You're listening to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Change Forever. From the CBS Audio Network, I'm Gil Gross. Radio, of course, depends on people who can hear, and we have picked up one more future customer. CBS News correspondent Janet Shamlian is in Houston with the story of a two-year-old child hearing the first sounds of her young life.
1: There are so many firsts in a child's life, but few can compare to this. Can you hear mama?
3: Mama? Yeah. I, think, I think you can hear
2: me. I think that is
1: it. <laughs> it's almost too much for Mavis Malone. She can hear for the very first time. It was almost as if she couldn't believe it. There's just that split second right before she covers them that I felt like she wanted to cry. Like, <gasps> I heard it, you know. The two-year-old was born with profound hearing loss. Hopes were high a four-hour surgery would change that. Doctors putting cochlear implants in both ears. The device is delivering sound directly to the auditory nerve. Now, without her mom signing, Mavis understands. Grandma. Grandma. And a trip to the park with her older brothers is a whole new world. I'm happy that my sister can hear. And I love her. An end to the silence.
4: Oh, sweetie, it's okay. Oh, my
1: girl. And a life forever changed. Janet Shamley and CBS News, Houston.
2: This is, of course, amazing. And for this family, it's an incredibly joyful moment. Hearing is so important to early child development that hearing loss is considered an emergency in terms of brain development by the American Academy of Pediatrics. There is controversy, of course, over this, as there is over everything, it seems. Some say it makes children who are deaf seem deficient to say that they need intervention, such as a cochlear implant. Others say that hearing stimulates the brain and is absolutely essential for full development. J. Connor Sullivan got a cochlear implant when he was 19. It wasn't an immediate miracle cure for him. After the first thrill of hearing any sound at all, he had to learn to distinguish what sounds were, including what a song was. When he first heard jingle bells, it just sounded like some sort of senseless noise. But as he grew used to it, he says his life changed. In the past, he missed social cues, missed jokes, and dealt with a teacher who, when he did not answer attendance, said, What are you, deaf? At least in that case, the kids laughed at the teacher, because everyone else knew he was. J. Connor Sullivan is now Dr. J. Connor Sullivan and an audiologist at Baylor College of Medicine. He thinks it's that important. But it's a battle that will increasingly be fought as new technology changes us all forever that can prevent or change conditions folks have always had, like deafness, where people have fought hard for rights and respect. Does it show less respect for people who are deaf if we can prevent that from happening? In the years ahead, more devices will be available that will enable hearing among those who have either been born or who have become deaf or even blind. Genetic therapy is also advancing and people and lawmakers will have to decide where to draw the line. It's easy to say it's gonna be drawn at whatever makes life easier for people, but is that just hearing and seeing or things where the way people treat you makes life harder for you, like skin color or sexuality? In the meantime, what we have here is a joyous family and a happy two-year-old. And maybe the best thing is to let them have that joy while knowing there are bigger issues down the road. This has been America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network, produced by District Productive and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Gil Gross.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to America Changed Forever ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.